let's remind ourselves what, what we're doing and why we're doing it. Why are we studying this topic of men and women in Christ? And why are we looking at some of these more controversial and difficult to understand passages? There are a lot of our um, sister churches around the International Churches of Christ are looking at these teachings and at our historic traditional practices, you could say also our assumptions, a lot of other places doing that, and we're not aiming at studying this with a particular end in mind. Um, different congregations are landing in different places on some of these um, passages, uh, but we are asking God through his spirit, through his word, to show us where if there are changes for us to make that we make them in faith based on our best understanding of scripture so we're asking god to show us how men and women can use their god-given gifts in community in our church here together for our benefit and the world and this is also about our children because uh you know we're not going to be here forever right and we want to re-examine some of these traditional things that we have uh, towards and understood in case we get we've got them wrong or not quite got them right enough and then if we get them more right that will be a blessing to our children so that's part of what we're going what's going on where are we so far in our studies well on Sundays we've been looking at men and women uh, Stefan most recently on Sunday Jesus and his mother we're going to carry on with that um, um, uh, looking at New Testament characters for a few more weeks we'll be done I think by the end of the summer with those um, and then our teaching classes so far, we talked about hermeneutics and exegesis, Genesis 2 and 3, and then last time, 1 Corinthians 11 and 14, tonight, 1 Timothy 2. What do we want to achieve tonight? What do I hope we'll achieve tonight? I hope that we'll have a better understanding or able to understand some of the different interpretations of this passage and find perhaps some significance for what it means for us in Watford about men and women, about worship, about godliness, about prayer about teaching and learning, about salvation. That's actually the point of Paul's instructions in the passage we're looking at tonight. And after I've done a bit of teaching, we'll have some Q&A and discussion with the time we have left. And then we'll talk about the this passage more in the men's meeting that comes up later this month and the women's meeting. Before I go on to the background, we should read the passage just to uh, set that in our minds and hearts. So we're in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 1, although we're going to focus on verses 8 to 15, but uh, let's also begin, begin reading earlier because the context is helpful. So 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Paul writes, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. But there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and or, or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds 
appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. So that's our passage. And as we dig into this, let's see what we can learn. And I'm going to be in this class as some of the others, um, unapologetically trying to describe the views of this passage, which are different from the traditional ones we have either taught or been taught or assumed or accepted, not because necessarily this the, the more different views are necessarily correct, but because they're different to most of us. We won't have heard most of these arguments and suggestions about this passage before. So that's why we're going in that particular direction. So let's talk about the background to the church in Ephesus. Paul is writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus. Uh, I'm sorry it's a bit small, but there, just by the cursor is where Ephesus is in what was Asia Minor and what is Turkey today. Paul is the one that started the church there. The story of that is in Acts chapter 19, if you want to look it up another time. Timothy is in Ephesus, serving there as an evangelist. That's mentioned specifically in 2 Timothy. What was Ephesus like? It was huge. It was one of the largest cities of the Roman Empire. It was a very large city, uh, hundreds of thousands of people, most likely. Very cosmopolitan, very diverse. Uh, it was very wealthy. And what was it known for in the, uh, in the world at the time? It was known for its education, its library. A photograph I took when Penny and I were there in around 2007, I think it was, or thereabouts. That's the front of the old library. It was beautiful. It was enormous for its day. Uh, had thousands of scrolls, very well known for its uh, library. It was also particularly and most famously known for uh, being the supposed uh, birthplace of or the origins of the goddess Artemis. Uh, Artemis is the Greek version of Diana, who was the uh, Roman goddess. And Artemis had a temple in Ephesus, and it was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It's one of those places, like if you could travel in the ancient world, one of the places you'd have on your bucket list would definitely be Ephesus, and or particularly the temple to Artemis. It was beautiful. It was huge from, compared to most temples of its day. And, Art and, and the photograph you can see there is, uh, again, a photograph uh, of I took of the uh, what's, what remains of the site of the temple today. Uh, they've put together, as you can see, one column there to give you an idea of the original height of the columns by cobbling together bits of other columns and sticking them on top of each other. And it looks like a, a bird's nest on the top there. Uh, but it's a huge site. And the temple was dedicated to Artemis, who was the goddess in particular of fertility and childbirth, amongst other things. That's relevant to our passage. Uh, she was sort of a female influencer of her day, a bit like a uh, perhaps a Beyonce of today. I, I don't know. You can come up with your own ideas. Uh, the Temple of Artemis was a bit like something like the, the, uh, the Statue of Liberty. Everybody would know what it was and what it looked like, or perhaps the Eiffel Tower. Everybody knows it's in Paris and what it looks like. Here you have a photograph of a statue of Artemis. Uh, with her many breasts uh, there suckling all of her young, uh, being the goddess of fertility. That's And one of those statues would be in every home, 
in Ephesus. Every home would have uh, one of those. And to denigrate Artemis was to tantamount to treason. I mean, it was like the worst thing you could do in that place. The trade of the city depended on the temple and the, the tourists that came and the money that came because of making trinkets and statues and various other things. Uh, she was known as a virgin uh, a, a goddess and her priests, priestesses were virgin women mostly from the most wealthy and powerful family, the aristocracy of, of Ephesus. And they would vie and fight to be allowed for their daughters to be priestesses in the temple of Artemis. It was a high status thing to get in as one of the priestesses. Uh, that's what it was uh, like. And any threat to, the, uh, to Artemis was met with violence. You might remember in Acts chapter 19, somebody starts a rumor about, about Paul and what's going on that he wants to, you know, and, and the trade is threatened. And there's a riot that culminates in the um, in the amphitheater in, in the theater at Ephesus, which looks like this, um, as you can see on the picture there. It's huge; it would hold tens of thousands of people. If uh, if you can see down the bottom there, that's Andrew Agabak holding his arms open. Andrew, when we were there, and myself and Simon Phillips, who's now in the church in Glasgow, uh, went down to the bottom there and sang the song "The Impossible Dream" just to see what the acoustic was like. Uh, that was quite fun. Uh, so it's it's huge. And that's where Paul, uh, well, Paul wasn't taken there. Some others were there. They, they almost killed him because uh, of the riot that took place. A couple of other uh, contextual points. Paul went to Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. He gathers with the elders of the church when he's there. And he, he warns them that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. He's worried about false teachers. Even from among your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. So some bad teaching is coming, drawing away disciples after them. Be on your guard. He's warning them about that uh, uh, coming problem. And in the context of First and Second Timothy, Paul's instructions to Timothy are a lot about this kind of possibility of false teaching. Chapter one, the first section there on the top of the screen now. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, Stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men, certain people. Sorry, it's people, not men, actually. It's people. Uh, the word people isn't in the Greek. It's, it's, so it, this shouldn't happen. No one should be teaching false doctrines any longer. So some people have been teaching false doctrines. Command them not to do that or to devote themselves to myths, endless genealogies. So the Artemis myth is a myth. Uh, such things promote controversial speculation, doesn't advance God's work by faith. The goal of the command is love. Some have departed, turned to meaningless talk. It's meaningless talk instead of good teaching. They want to be teachers of the law. So we have people who want to be teachers, but they do not know what they are talking about. So they are uneducated or ignorant. They claim the ability to teach, but they don't know what they're talking about. This is very relevant, I think, to our passage. In chapter four, coming after the passage we're looking at tonight, Paul tells Timothy, command and teach these things. Don't let anybody look down on you. Uh, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. It's a very important role he has. Don't neglect the gift. Uh, the end of the chapter there, watch your life and doctrine closely. He emphasizes it because it's a challenge in Ephesus, and it's about salvation. If you do, you will save yourself and your hearers, even those who might be currently going astray, wanting to be teachers, but actually don't know what they're talking about. In 2 Timothy, similarly, in chapter 4, he instructs Timothy to preach the word. You've got to do this. 
in season and out of season. Do some correcting, rebuking, encouraging, great patience, careful instruction, careful instruction. Time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. They'll to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers. Oh, there are plenty of teachers, not a shortage of teachers. They'll get all these teachers together to say what their itching ears want to hear, turning their ears away from the truth and turning what to, to myths. Again, we've got the myth of Artemis in the background to all of this. And there's a lot more about teaching in First and Second Timothy. If you want a good Bible study, have a look uh, at all the references to teaching and false teaching in those two books. Haven't got time to do more of that tonight, okay? But I just want to put that in context. Teaching is a big deal in Ephesus. False doctrine, false teaching, people wanting to be teachers but don't know what they're talking about. That's in the background here. So going back now to chapter two, we'll focus on chapter two from this point on. What are Paul's main points in chapter two? His main points, I think, are summarized by the importance of prayer. He talks about prayers going for all people in verse one. He talks about lifting up holy hands in prayer. And in verse 10, he talks about worship, uh, worshiping God. So prayer and worship is very important. Godliness is very important. Chapter two, verse two, um, quiet lives and godliness and godliness in, uh, in, in verse 10 uh, is, is important. Uh, quietness is important, chapter 2, verse 2, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives, and women are meant to learn in quietness. It's the same word, by the way. Uh, it's not silence, it's quietness. Some translations have silence, but that's a mistranslation. It is actually quietness. And uh, there's teaching and learning going on in uh, the, uh, chapters, uh, two, verses 6 and 7. Uh, Paul was appointed a, a herald, an apostle. He's a witness. He's telling the truth. And then, of course, the women are called to learn in quietness and full submission in verse 11 and salvation is a key th thread here in verse 4 god wants all people to be saved and in verse 15 women will be saved and what it means about childbearing we'll come to in a minute it is an interesting and uh odd uh phrase i think or a verse that's going on there so now let's examine the text in a bit more detail a couple of reminders about interpretation the scriptures here, this letter, is written for us, like all scripture, but it's not written to us. It was written to the Ephesians. That's why we need to interpret, because not everything that's written uh, for them is directly applicable to us. So we have to do our best to determine God's message to us in this passage, which might be slightly different to what it was for the Ephesians. That means asking what it did mean to them, and then after that, what it might mean for us with humility, because we might get it wrong. So the first seven verses, I would paraphrase as this. God wants, Paul is saying, as many saved as possible, and you and I agree with that wholeheartedly, right? Ephesian church and Timothy, okay, you agree with me? Okay, therefore, how are we going to progress God's agenda for us through his church into the world? These verses can help. So verses 8 to 10, men are to pray, lifting up holy hands and so on. So perhaps what Paul is saying is pray instead of arguing. You remember you got these false teachers? It, it, maybe there's arguing, contentious things going on. He says, instead of doing all that debating about stuff you don't understand, pray. Pray instead of arguing, without anger, being at peace with one another. Peace promotes the gospel. Um, very different from the prevailing culture. The, the prevailing culture was a very tinderbox kind of place. Like I mentioned about that riot in Ephesus, uh, it was a very dangerous thing. And it, it could happen almost at, at a moment's notice uh, if someone was offended. Were they, perhaps somebody said, were they lifting up their hands to fight? And he says, instead of lifting up your hands to fight each other, lift up your hands to pray. Because the point isn't the position of the hands, because there's no other instruction like that in the New Testament, really. And Jewish 
customs of prayer involve sometimes raising of hands, but also kneeling, prostrating, prostrating yourself in various other positions. So there's nothing particularly holy about raising hands. So maybe there's something else going on there that we're not uh, aware of. Um, no flying off the handle. The attitude is the point, the point of, uh, of holiness, the point of peace, the point of getting along together, being peaceful, so that things can be done in a godly and holy way. The women uh, in verses 9 and 10 are to dress in such a way as to not obscure their identity as Christians. And this is a key part of what's going on. No dressing to impress is what he's basically saying. The issue is modesty, not the detail. In other words, not behaving in such a way as to disrupt worship through distracting clothing, uh, which is the bit here, or later on when he's talking about being quiet, distracting talking, I think is what's going on. The details of what he instructs them with here about uh, one of the specifics of elaborate hairstyles, gold pearls, expensive clothes, um, they seem to be uh, contextual. For example, there's a similar passage in First, in first Peter 3, uh, 3 and 4, which mentions gold, jewelry, and fine clothes, but and, and hairstyle, but doesn't mention pearls. So it seems like maybe pearls was a particular issue in Ephesus, but it wouldn't have been in the churches that Peter was writing to. So there's some context going on here. Perhaps wealthy Christian women were using uh, were, who were used to flaunting their wealth, which was acceptable in that society. In Ephesus, that's what you kind of did if you had money. Um, they were doing that there, but Paul is saying, don't do it in the church. You don't come to church to, to show everybody how wealthy you are, particularly important to these aristocratic kind of women. What they wore in church there needed to be toned down to be appropriate. Uh, if you think about it, for a, what a Christian might wear to church in a place like Monaco, super rich area, it uh, wouldn't be appropriate to wear to church in India, let's say that we would change what we wear to fit with the culture of wherever we are worshipping. It looked as if they were honouring Artemis by the way they dressed, rather than they were honouring God. I think that's what's actually going on. Now, the more contentious bits. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. What might this mean? Well, the first thing we should point out is Paul wants the women to learn. It's not a woman shouldn't learn. A woman should learn. They're meant to learn. As a, I've got a quote here from one of the books I've been reading, the problem seems not to be women teaching, but rather that the women are learning too loudly. There's too much noise and distraction associated with the way that the women are learning in Ephesus. And that's what's perhaps being dealt with here. If the shock to our time is that women should be quiet while they're learning, the shock to first century people would be that women should learn at all. Women were not routinely educated. Most were not educated to the same level as men. And so what you have, what you would have in the church, as in society as a whole, you would tend to have some education for the men, almost no education for the women. And that does have an impact on how you teach, educate, and biblically mature a congregation. If you've got the men who kind of know a lot of what you're talking about, or perhaps can read documents, and you've got women who don't know what you're talking about, or perhaps can't read documents, You've got a challenge there. You've got to figure out pastorally, how do I make sure that the women get educated? And perhaps the women were thinking they should, the way they should be educated was clashing with the ability to have good decorum in a church service that brought honor to God and enabled learning to take place. I think that's some of what's going on here. When he says quietness here, it is quietness, not silence. It, um, I think the point there is you, you can't learn while you're talking. And it's very difficult to learn while everybody else around you is talking. It does, certainly can't mean total silence, as we looked at 1 Corinthians 11, where it talks about women prophesying and praying in a church service. It's a context. It's not about that. As an example, 
the first time I was studying at London School of Theology uh, around about 2000, and I think, uh, let's say four or five, I was in an Old Testament lecture and it was on the flood narrative about Noah and the flood and different theories of what that means. And one of the students continually interrupted the lecturer, didn't like what he was saying, thought there was only one legitimate interpretation and none of the others were legitimate. And therefore, what's the point in even looking at them? Uh, but he was not saying these alternatives are correct necessarily, but there are other alternative interpretations and we need to understand them. But uh, she couldn't handle this because it felt like a deep uh, a questioning of her beliefs and her faith. So she constantly interrupted the lecturer saying, no, you can't teach that. That's not right. Arguing with him in front of the rest of us. After this went on for a while, one of the other students that was there asked her to stop so that the rest of us could learn. Uh, they made the point, we've paid a lot of money to take this course. We want to learn. We don't want to sit here listening to you to argue. Take it outside if you like, you know, that kind of idea. Um, she couldn't take it. And uh, I'm not judging her. It was Something was difficult there for her. Uh, so she just picked up her laptop and her books and left the classroom. And until she left, the rest of us were being prevented from learning because she wouldn't let us sit in quietness and submission so that we could learn. It's a decision that we had to make. It's a decision she had to make. Was she going to be quiet and listen or was she going to argue? And it, her arguing prevented any of us from learning. The submission here, I would submit, is submission to God. In other words, have a humble spirit towards God's teaching. There's nothing in the passage that, that uh, actually says that the submission is to men or men in the act of teaching. It just says to be submissive in full submission. And I would suggest in the context that's probably just about being submissive to God. Verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Again, it's the word quiet. I do not permit. Okay, what does this mean? It could mean a specific prohibition because of societal norms, which if disrupted in this case would do more harm than good. In other words, some societal norms must be challenged. One of them would be women should learn. That's not normal in that society. That needs to be challenged in, as a Christian. But some must not, at least not here, not now, not right now, because a focus on challenging that norm would get in the way of the more important issue, which in this case is learning. I mean, you have the right to argue. You have the right to debate in the church service, I suppose, but it's not actually helping you to achieve what's most important, which is to learn. And right now, sisters, it's right now is a time to be quiet while you learn. Later on, perhaps you might be then equipped to teach, but now you're not able to do so in a way that's healthy and helpful. So women pushing their way into teaching roles um, would have been uh, used to teaching um, uh, or seen it demonstrated in the Artemis cult. That would have been their reference point for their role uh, in the church. However, they were not probably likely not educated in this new religion and so weren't qualified to teach and they needed to learn. Sometimes people with very real gifts, say in music or leadership or speaking, are very useful with those gifts in their secular job environment or something outside the church. When they become a Christian, they bring those gifts into the church, music, leadership, speaking or whatever, and very valuable to the church. But often they need time to adjust and spiritualize their gifts before they're useful in the church. It's not about being a man or a woman. That's, that's just a, a general thing. There's a danger sometimes if people start using their gift too quickly that they can crash and burn, damaging their faith and the faith of people around them. Some people make that transition quicker than others. So what I'm saying is someone with leadership gifts, say, should use it in the church as much as anywhere else. But just because they're able to use it somewhere else doesn't mean they should instantly be in leadership in the church. They need to learn how to use that gift in a spiritual way. 
maybe the women actually could be very good at teaching in Ephesus, but they haven't yet learned enough material to be able to teach. And perhaps they haven't learned yet, some of them at least, the right spirit with which to learn that then would equip them for being good at teaching. Um, authority. Let's talk about this word, authentio. This word is found only here in the New Testament. There's no other record of it. Um, it's not a, a common Greek word. It's therefore a little bit hard to be absolutely certain what Paul means, but it appears to carry the idea of being bossy, of lording it over people. You'll see that it's translated to assume authority over a man. You may bear in mind that there is nowhere in the Bible that says having authority over somebody is a healthy, positive thing. Jesus didn't say anything to anybody about any of his followers having authority over anybody in fact if anything he said uh you are under authority as i am and you must serve one another so the, the, this isn't saying that men should have authority and women shouldn't it's just, i think it's more about not being bossy overall uh like the what's sometimes called the new roman woman of the time that was uh, uh like this uh being uh authority having authority over people is something no one should aspire to whether a man or a woman um a noisy power hungry insubmissive to god woman has no place teaching men or exercising any kind of authority in the church especially when that authority is patterned after the kind wielded on behalf of artemis instead of after christ just as some of the ephesian women were dressing in a way that made them look like a disciple of artemis rather than a disciple of jesus so they were using their freedom to speak and influence the church in a way that reminded people of artemis rather than jesus the point may not be that women are not to exercise some kind of authority, but that they are not to exercise an Artemis-style authority. The culture of the day was male-dominated in general, but it was female-dominated in the area of religion. So when you come into the church, that's not going to work to have one sex dominate the other in church. That's not the right way to look at it. But the women were used to the idea that in, re in the religious realm, we're the bosses. We're the ones in charge. We do the teaching. We do the leading. That, that was very different from the culture as a whole, but that's what it was like in the religious sphere in Ephesus. So can you imagine what it'd be like if, in this country at least, men's and women's sports were flipped? All the big money is uh, currently in the men's Premier League and uh, in football, right? I mean, it's, it's billions of pounds, football rights and, all, and ticket sales and everything, billions. Imagine that that was now flipped and that all of those billions of pounds were in women's football in women's rugby, in women's cricket, or in, in the United States, uh, it was the women's NFL that was the big thing on television all the time. And that was the big Super Bowl, um, or baseball, or basketball. A bit like uh, currently, match of the day on a Saturday evening, it's about 10.30. It's the men's match of the day highlights at 10.30. It's the women's highlights at something like midnight. But it, in this world, if, if we're talking about comparing religion in that day with sports in ours, which for a lot of people, sport is their religion these days, um, it would be like the women's highlights being a 10.30 match of the day. That would be the big thing where, where millions of people watch it. And then a minority, smaller number watch the women's highlights at midnight. It'd be like flipping it. Like all the back pages, instead of being about men's sports, it'd be all about women's sports. It'd be a little bit on the inside pages about, about men's sports. Flipped around. The FA Cup final last week, it wouldn't have been Man City and Man United men's teams. It would have been the women's teams. And it would have been packed at Wembley. It would have been big news, three o'clock on Saturday afternoon. So do you, do you get the idea that in that, in that culture, it's flipped around. And maybe that's what's infecting the church to some degree, where the women think, hang on, but it makes sense for us to be the teachers, even though we don't know anything. It's true. But still, it makes sense because, because that's the way religion works, right? And maybe Paul is telling Timothy, you've got to help these women to understand they've got to do some learning first. Not saying they can't teach or lead, but 
they're not equipped, they're not ready, and they've got to change their perspective on this before they can be effective and useful to God in that way. So they need to be quiet. Why? So as to be able to learn. There's a purpose to the quietness. Uh, professional teachers can attest to the challenge of trying to teach in a noisy classroom. He makes the argument that Adam was formed first and then Eve. Uh, what is he saying by that? Um, I think he, what he's saying is Adam was first, not Artemis. Um, Diana, who's the Roman equivalent of Artemis, was the firstborn um, in that uh, myth. Uh, she was born and then she helped her mother give birth to her twin, <laughs> twin brother Apollo. Uh, there's Diana. She's a very dashing uh, goddess um, with her uh, quiver of arrows and, and hunting. I mean, she was very dynamic in that uh, context. It goes on to say that Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman, Eve, who was deceived. Uh, yeah, well, maybe what Paul is saying is you think the women are wiser than men by sort of nature. You know, like Artemis is so powerful and wonderful. Well, really, women are, are better than men, aren't they? And he said, well, actually, let's go back to the creation account. Did you notice that it, Eve was not the wise one in that situation, as Artemis was normally portrayed? Paul's point, I think, is women aren't, are, are nothing special compared to men. I mean, there's no real difference between them. Uh, if women were all that, they would not have been susceptible to the temptation by the snake and wouldn't have led Adam astray. And perhaps what he's doing there is not making so much a theological point as, making, as, as referring to the creation account there, Adam and Eve, uh, as a cautionary tale. Listen, women, Eve, you remember her? She, she messed up, right? So don't think that you're more spiritual just because you're women. I think is maybe what he's saying. Adam does not get off the hook. As Paul writes in Romans 5 verse 14, uh, he does talk about him breaking the command and sinning. So it's not like Adam gets a, a free pass here. Uh, the Tyndale commentary says this, Eve had sought to instruct Adam with insufficient grasp of the issues. Was Paul in fact saying that no woman should teach without first taking time to learn in view of the fact that women had had no opportunity to be taught? Eve is being used as an illustration of what happens when people are not thoroughly instructed. In this case, he uses Eve because she's a woman and the unhealthy domination of men by ignorant women is the problem in Ephesus, as some would see it. The implication is that once the women are as well instructed as the men, they will be as capable of teaching as the men. In that case, in an imaginary future letter that Paul might write, he wouldn't get the same instruction. Maybe different problems next time he wrote a letter. What about this strange, problematic last verse? Women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Well, it can't be saying that um, if you give birth to a child, you'll be saved. And if you don't give birth to a child, you won't or something. Uh, obviously, not all women were married. Not all women had children. That can't be the interpretation. And there are several different uh, potential interpretations. But I think I would say this personally. I wonder if this is his main point. The chapter leads to this. This is the end of the whole chapter. His point is about salvation. It's about um, well, his arguments about behavior in, earlier in chapter two are correctives to the women's attempts to secure safety for themselves and their particularly their female children. The dominating sense in Ephesus was that to have children and to be safe and the children to be safe, it was up to Artemis to sort it out. And so what I think Paul is saying is you've got to trust God. You've got to trust Jesus. You don't have to be in control. You can't be in control. You need to be continuing faith, in love, and in holiness with propriety, and God will take care of you. And he has brought salvation to the world through a woman. That's a wonderful thing. Perhaps he's referring there to the Messiah uh, and the promise to Eve in Genesis 3, verse 15. 
Uh, Trevor Williams, uh, who uh, is uh, in the mainstream Churches of Christ in the UK, a chap I know wrote this in something he wrote on this passage. And I agree with this, I think. My conclusion is that the women all the way through this passage were those who continued looking like representatives of Artemis rather than the ambassadors of Christ. I think that was the central problem. And Paul wrote this to correct that so that the women could learn. And as they learn, they will grow and then become capable, potentially later, at teaching. Since he does talk to, uh, elsewhere about the, the need for the women to teach the older women to teach younger women. So he's not against he's not against teaching. He wants them to be equipped. All right, those are my thoughts on this uh, interesting passage. 